Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Friday, October seventh, twenty twenty two. And it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcast. Excuse me, Podcasting Network. Get a little uh, scratch in my throat. Allergy season just crushing me in South Carolina right now. But I am Mike Heck. Thank you for joining us live. Thank you for listening after the fact if you're doing so that way. It is Friday, which means we let our hair down at least... Those of us with hair, I unfortunately have lost that battle a long time ago, and I have accepted that. But it's a free-for-all Friday. We're going to talk about MMA. We'll talk about whatever the hell you want. So if you have a question about whatever, just go ahead and line up, and we'll just have a good time. A few things have gone down since we last spoke. Uriah Hall... No longer retired from combat sports. He's going to be boxing former NFL running back Le'Veon Bell. October 29th on the Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva card. That is an interesting piece of news right there. We found out the fight between Rafael Dos Anjos and Brian Barberina is official for UFC Orlando, that card coming together. I think there's only maybe one or two more fights that need to be added. I know there's one fight that's sort of in the works. Looks like Penn has gone to paper. I'm hoping to get more information on that later on today. And when we gain one fight, we lose another. We found out that Danny Rodriguez has an elbow infection, so now he is out of his UFC Vegas 62 fights with Neil Magny, which is a big bummer because that was one of the fights that was really the glue to this entire card. Very interesting matchup. It's probably the best fight on paper, if we're being honest. And that one no longer happening. Not sure if Neil's going to fight. Doesn't seem like he's all that interested in competing. Looks like they just want to rebook that one, and we'll see what happens there. And then we found out a question that we have been pondering on this show for quite some time. We finally got our answer. We confirmed last night a report from the UFC broadcast partner ESPN that Frankie Edgar's expected retirement fight is set for UFC 281 
at Madison Square Garden in less in a little over a month's time. He's going to fight Chris Gutierrez on that card. So interesting booking. I actually like the matchup. It's good for both guys because it's a winnable fight for Frankie. Chris does have great striking, some good power as well. He's an incredible leg kicker. <clears throat> so I think it's a fight that Frankie can win. And if Gutierrez wins, he's on a really good run right now, a really good unbeaten streak. This could be the kind of win that kind of gets him into the top 15 perhaps and gets him into some bigger fights because I feel like he's deserved that. So that's some of the latest news that we got going on right now. But there's other things that are being discussed as well. So let's just go to you guys. Free for all Friday. We could talk about that stuff. We could talk about MMA. We could talk about anything else. We could talk about the MMA media space. Whatever floats your boat. Tristan, kick us hey, off. Hey, Mike. Um, my question is that I have for you today. Um, I saw the chatter going back and forth between Shavkan Rachmanov and um, Jeff Neal. Uh, on the tweet and on the Twitter, actually, um, Jeff Neal had said, all right, be careful what you wish for. I already had my team contact Sean as we speak. Let's get this done. And then um, Shafkant said, respect my brother. See you soon. So, I mean, hypothetically, I don't know if that fight's going to be made. We'll see. But hypothetically, how do you see that matchup uh, moving forward? Um, we already know. I mean, listen, we saw Jeff Neal probably had one of his greatest fights against Vicente Luque. Um, also, I respect the respect the coach that he has, Saif Saeed. He's a great coach. He has great fighters that are coming up very well and winning a lot of fights. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov, again, I've, I've expressed this a lot. He's my favorite fighter to watch, but there's still questions about him um, that we don't have answered yet. Yes, you know, he beat a great fighter in uh, Jeff, and um, excuse me, Neil Magny, but, you know, there's, I think, around... Some people around the MMA community, there's still questions about him. They're, they're still not sure, um, you know, what, you know, the potential is there. Like, this guy could be champion and defend it for a while, but we still have questions about it. So how do you see that fight going, um, hypothetically, in your mind? And who do you think will win that fight? Thanks for everything, Mike. Have a heck of a morning. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I saw the chatter yesterday. Um, I was kind of out of the loop for a few hours last night because I was playing softball and half our team decided not to show up. So we had to play like three infielders. So usually I play shortstop for this team. So I basically had to cover like the entire middle infield. So it just kicked the living hell out of me because I don't think I've run that much in a long time. But that's neither here nor there. But I did see this and this is – I feel like Shafgat's just got such – an advantage over almost everybody right now. He's just so good. And Jeff Neal did look great against Vicente Luque. And, you know, Jeff's a great striker. He could wrestle a little bit if he wants to, but he's certainly not going to try to wrestle Shafkat Rachmanov. And I don't even know if he has, like, a distinct striking advantage over Shafkat Rachmanov. So kudos to Jeff Neal if he does actually take this fight. I actually liked the callout. Um... I actually liked the callout of 
Gilbert Burns, excuse me, I'm trying to do a million things at once, trying to confirm things at the same time. I liked the Gilbert Burns call out after the win over Vicente Luque. I think it made a lot of sense. But it just seems like it just seems like that's not gonna happen. It seems like Gilbert Burns is gonna try to get that that Mazadal fight him. Who knows if, that, if that's gonna happen? I'm hopefully gonna talk to Jorge Mazadal next week in person. So hopefully we can get some answers there. But again, Mazadal's dealing with the court stuff and not really sure when he's gonna be able to fight. I would say doubtful that he fights this year unless they settle this thing. So yeah, I don't know. So I think this is probably the best case scenario for for Jeff Neal because if he beats if he beats Shafkat Rahmanov, that's a huge win. And I know there's still questions about the guy, but the hype behind him is real. And yeah, but I think Shaf I think Shafkat wins that fight. I think he probably finishes Jeff Neal as well because he finishes pretty much everybody he fights. So yeah, good fight. Be a, a great test for Jeff Neal. And I'll tell you what, if if he beats Shafkat, then he could probably get that Gilbert Burns fight. Or something big. He would definitely deserve it. Let's go to double A and then we'll go to Sentinels next. I got you. Hello. Yes, I have you. Okay, how you doing? Good. Okay, mine's just a simple one. Um, where does Wonder Boy go if he loses to Kevin Holland? Does he possibly retire? Um, what does he do? Um, have a good day. Cheers. I don't think Wonder Boy will retire if he loses to Kevin Holland. Wonder Boy, you know, he he has a million things going on in his world. He is a. He's a karate instructor before anything else. He helps his dad run that team and that business, and that's that's his full-time gig. He fights because he enjoys fighting. And, of course, if you compete in a professional sport, you want to be the best at it. You want to fight for a world title and all that. And I know that's something that Wonder Boy would love to accomplish if he gets the opportunity. He's had a couple of chances to fight for the belt, came up short. Heading into the Gilbert Burns fight, there was a lot of sentiment that if he won that fight, he would get a title shot. He ended up losing that fight, and then he lost to Bilal. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't. It just depends. Of like, if there's fun, exciting fights for him, especially with fellow strikers, I think he'll keep going. But I just don't know if Wonder Boy is the kind of guy that's just gonna be like, well, I lost a couple of fights, I'm just gonna retire now. He just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. But when he just for him, if he just stops enjoying fighting, then he'll stop. But again, this isn't his primary thing. He does a lot of content. He's now getting into the acting world. If you watch the latest season of Cobra Kai, you saw Wonder Boy on there. So I, I think he's going to be fine. And fighting's just kind of, it's not a hobby, but it's not his, it's not his full-time thing. Fighting's just something he loves to do. And and when that love fades, then he will as well. But I just don't think it has faded just yet. Now, if he goes out there and just gets brutally knocked out by Kevin Holland, maybe he has different discussions with his dad and, and other members of his team, people that he's close to. But 
Yeah, I don't think a loss to Kevin Holland necessarily gets him out of the sport. Because there's still interesting names, interesting matchups for him at 170. May not be with title implications, but there's still certainly some some fun fights for him. Let's go to Sentinels. The wheel is spinning. Hopefully we can get him. I know Twitter is kind of wonky for some folks. There we go. I think I hear him. Sentinels, how are you? Um, I had a question, but I forgot it when you said uh, fucking Steven Wonderboy Thompson was in Cobra Cat. I must have missed that. Yeah, he doesn't have like a big speaking role, but him and Tyron Woodley are both in this season. So I think you, you kind of notice it when they're when they're in the dojos and stuff. But, I mean, Tyron Woodley gets – like fingers chopped off and stuff, but Wonder yeah. Boy doesn't have like a role that big, but he is in the season. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to leave that. I'm going to have to go watch that. You guys have a good morning. I got to go find that. There you go. Yep. He is in the season. A little salt and pepper going on up top. Wonder Boy's the man. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Wonder Boy. He is a guy that. Honestly, when I was coming up in this game and I was struggling to get interviews with bigger names, uh, Wonderboy was one of the first guys who gave me a chance. And he's a guy that I've been sp- speaking to pretty consistently over the last six years or so. Uh, I remember the first time we talked, it was before he got booked to fight Johnny Hendricks. And then we had a lot of conversations since. He talked a lot before his title fight to Tyron Woodley. Just a great dude. Just such a good guy. I'm hoping to try. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it this year, but I'm hoping sometime in the next six to eight months, maybe a year. I want to play golf with Wonder Boy and, and Chris Weidman. We're, we've, we've already discussed maybe putting something together and it's like a three hour drive from where I'm at. So yeah, I see R. this dude R keeps trying to jump in. I'm trying to go to him. Because I know he was here early, but then he just keeps vanishing. So I can't I can't go to him. Let's go to Latino Heat. Hello, Latino Heat. Um hello, hello, hello. Big fan of the show. I was just wondering that about the Wonder Boy um Kevin Holland fight. Most people say that fight is a fight that most people don't want to see. From my perspective, wait, who said that? Who said that? Um, well, I'm pretty, um, a couple YouTubers because um, they said that um, Wonder Boy, like they're using them just like how they were trying to use Nate um Diaz to hype up, like because he's on his way out, because he's in his like end of his stage of his fighting career, that they're just trying to use them to build like. Um, Kevin Holland up since he's been on the losing streak. Okay, I mean, do you feel that? Way? Um, I'm not gonna say 100, percent but a bit because you got to be low key realistic. Okay. All right. Thank you, Latino You're Heat. Welcome. I I don't I don't buy into that theory because by the way, Wonder Boy actually called for this fight. He had sort of had a list of guys that he ran off because there were reports out that the UFC wanted to book him versus Shafkat Rachmanov, which would have just been a friggin' nightmare for him. 
And he had done some interviews talking about how, listen, I, I, I pretty much fought guys who grounded me the last two fights. I want to get in there with a striker. And obviously, Shafgat Rachmanov, who he can strike, but that's not his bread and butter. Wonder Boy is probably going to get taken to the ground and, and, and stopped pretty quickly in that fight. So he mentioned Kevin Holland by name. And when I talked to Kevin about it, he loved the fight too. So both guys wanted it. And I think it makes sense. Now, it just depends on how Kevin Holland approaches this fight. If Kevin Holland approaches this fight, like I'm going to stand there and strike with this dude the entire time, then it is an interesting fight. I, I, I think it's a competitive matchup, and I think it's a fight Wonderboy could win. But if Kevin Holland decides to mix the martial arts, he's not a great defensive wrestler. He's not great at defending takedowns. He's getting better, obviously, when you're fighting Hamzat Shemaev, when you were preparing to fight Daniel Rodriguez, you're, he, he did his damnedest to try to scramble out of that situation that he was put in at that fight last month. But Kevin can take Wonderboy down too. Kevin's a pretty decent offensive wrestler. And once he gets on top of you, he's pretty dangerous up there. So it all depends on like how he approaches this fight. And it wouldn't stun me if Holland's like, yeah, man, I'm just going to go in there and have fun. And strike with this dude. And then it's a competitive fight. Not saying that he can't go out there and stop Wonderboy on the feet. Because Kevin Holland's a very good striker. He's a powerful dude. But we'll see what happens. I like the fight. I, I think it makes perfect sense. And if Kevin Holland was... And again, I've talked about this before. What Kevin Holland did with this quote-unquote retirement. What him and his management team did with all of it. It was friggin' brilliant. It was brilliant. And now he gets the fight he wants and he gets to headline a card in front of a bunch of people. And yeah, I thought they did a, a fantastic job with this whole situation. So good on them for getting that done. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping I get to go there and cover that event because Orlando is not that far from me. And I could just drive there and stay with my parents who have a house about 45 minutes from Orlando. So save the company some moolah. Viking! Viking. Hello, Mike. Here we go. Hello. CEO of MMAfighting.com. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? Mm, I'm good, Mike. Mike, just tell me who decides the topic of BTL. Uh, I usually do. Oh. I do. That's absolutely right. Because last night you guys have made it absolutely banger and... I don't really care if Jed Mishu is there or not as a fan because we still have you, Drake Riggs, AK, Jose Youngs, New York Rick, Damon Martin. I knew it was your thinking. Nobody can think like that. And I didn't miss Jed at all. And do you have any <laughs> do you have any news about Blythe Mitchell and Mouser? Evil of fight has been cancelled, and the and one more thing about Wonder Boy is that he's going to continue in next season of Cobra Kai. They have saved his role for the bigger appearance for the next season. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. Yeah, maybe Wonder Boy can like take over Cobra Kai, and he can he can lead the crew. That that'd be something. Seeing Wonder Boy play kind of a heelish role. In a speaking part, that'd be pretty fun. 
very Wonder Boy like. He'd have to really bust out the acting chops for that. Um, yeah, BTL was fun yesterday. We decided to mix it up a little bit because sometimes that show gets a little stagnant. We had no UFC. We got no big MMA card this weekend. So figured we're about to hit a very pivotal stretch for the rest of the year. This is when the UFC really puts the foot on the gas and some of these other promotions put the foot on the gas in terms of putting these big fights together and potential big performances and so forth and so on. So we figured... Let's just kind of lay out the final chase for the 2022 year-end awards that we're going to have on MAFighting.com, which you'll find pretty much universally across combat sports website sites around the world. And we just had some fun and laid some out. And and we didn't need Jed for the hot takes because Damon Martin dropped one of the biggest hot takes of the year on BTL when he said that Bo Nickel could beat Israel Adesanya right now. He said... a lot of people like took it out of context because you just saw the clip of it, but we were just talking about who could be the fighter of the year. And Damon was like, Hey, just real quick. Like, let's just say Alex Pereira can't fight and they can't find an opponent for Israel. And Bo steps it on short notice. Bo would be the fighter of the year. And he feels like if Bo stepped on short notice, he, he could beat out of Sonny. Now I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think we need to pump the brakes slightly on that whole thing. But I mean, if Bo fought Izzy right now, it's competitive. Like, it's a competitive fight. I don't know if I have the the fortitude to pick Bo Nickel to win, but there's no way that fight's not competitive. That fight is competitive, at least for, for a little while. Because Izzy's just so durable, and he's tough to get down. He's tough to put away. And, yeah, I mean, it's competitive. I'm not willing to go out on my shield and say that would win that fight but he's he's competitive with pretty much anybody right now even with three pro fights the Evloyev Mitchell stuff uh, I addressed this earlier this week but for those who missed it I'll talk about it there was a report uh, from from Georgia someone in the uh, the Georgian media space who said he had he was told and he had heard that Mavzar Evloyev got hurt in training and Evloyev is headlining the November 5th card against Bryce Mitchell, which by the way is the right call. That is the fight that should be the main event. 100%. It's a great fight. I reached out to some folks. As of now, the fight is still on. I was told from the Evloyev side that it wasn't a false report, but Mavzar is fine, and as of now, he is all, all in on this fight November 5th. So, not in jeopardy from what I'm told. Was there some sort of slight injury? Yes, but apparently it's not enough to put the fight in any kind of serious jeopardy right now. As of now, the fight is going forward. Uh, I was told the exact wording from the source that I spoke to was it's not false, but he's going to, but he's fine. So I think we're good to go there. So hopefully that, that stays put because that fight friggin' rules. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., 
and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go to Zeke. Octagon blogs on deck. What's up, Zeke? Hello, Mike. I'm in the car. Can you hear me? I'll be short and sweet on this heck of a Friday. I can hear you very well. Um, So let's go. I mean, I got what I wish for. I mean, I'm probably the only guy who will continuously come in here and talk about Frankie Edgar, but here I am again. All right. Chris Gutierrez at the garden. Absolutely love it. I don't think they couldn't have picked this fight better. You know what I mean? This is a guy who's a little bit relevant, a guy who doesn't really have that knockout power, and a guy I think Frankie should be able to handle. So I'm very excited for that. And then to just follow up what uh, what the last caller, I'm pretty sure it was Viking, came in and said, uh, I love this Avoyla-Mitchell fight. I really, really hope we don't lose it. Um, do you think uh, – I mean, I know this is a bit of a betting question, but do you think the line is going to be afflicted now? And uh, we're going to see a big move after this injury. What are uh, what are your thoughts? Maybe if you don't want to talk about the line, maybe just talk about the camp and, uh, you know, their uh, different fighting styles and matchups now that there is a, you know, an injury in this fight. Thank you, Mike. Have a uh, heck of a week. Uh, thank you, sir. I'm trying to – let me see if we have – betting lines for that one yet uh, i'm looking on DraftKings. it's nothing really listed but let's go to my go-to which is best fight odds uh doesn't look like there's any lines out for that card yet oh okay wait a minute they're just like out of order I'm not seeing any betting lines here. That's very strange. Trying to give you the trying to give you the meat here. Let's see where we're at. Let's pull this up. Maybe this maybe this has it. Maybe our friends at Odd Sharks have it. Um So Bryce a bit okay, so as of right now. It opened at Bryce Mitchell minus 122, Mavzar of minus 109. So it's basically a coin flip fight. And that's how I view it as well. I, th- I mean, this is a great fight. This is a fight that kind of teeters on do we want to see it now or is this something we wanted to see down the road? Maybe a number one contender fight, maybe a title fight down the road. But with the way this featherweight division is shaping up right now and with all the unsurety with what Volkanovsky is going to do. Is he going to stick around to 145? Is he going to go up to 155? This is a huge fight. One of these guys has a great chance to break out, and this is a great five-round fight. This is a fantastic main event. And looks like Mitchell's a slight favorite, but I have a feeling by the time we get to fight night, I mean, we're going to be at a complete impasse, a complete pick their both their wrestling is exceptional. Their ground games are exceptional. Bryce's striking's getting a little better. Like a lot of people 
just look at Bryce as just a straight grappler, but he was he was hitting Edson with some shots when he ran over Edson Barboza. And Evloyev can crack too. I think Evloyev is the better striker. He's definitely the more technical striker. But it's the ground exchanges that we're definitely going to see in this fight. And it's just, I guess my biggest question is, can Mavzar Evloyev's gas tank hold up to Bryce Mitchell's gas tank? Because we've seen the game change when it comes to wrestling a lot more with guys, Bryce Mitchell especially, which is why I favored him to just beat Edson Barboza almost exactly the way that he did. He just doesn't stop. If he doesn't get the first takedown, he shoots for a second one. If he doesn't get the second one, he goes a different angle and goes for the third one. Fourth, fifth, sixth. And he's just going to keep chaining them together until he gets you to the ground. And when he gets you to the ground, it is a nightmare with that man on top of you. And he could do this. We've seen him do it for three rounds without breaking a sweat. I have a hard time believing he can't do it for five. It's just a matter of can Evloyev's gas tank hold up to his. And that was a lot of, and that was, I still scored the Sarukian Gamrot fight for Sarukian. Again, it's not a robbery. If you wanted to score it the other way, I ain't going to be mad at you for it. But the big difference in that fight was Gamrot was a little bit fresher down the end and I, down the stretch. And I think it went some of those rounds where they were really, really close. They saw Sarukian taking some deeper breaths and they saw Gamrot who obviously was taking some breath himself, a little less gassed out. And I think that made an impression on the judges, if we're being honest. So that's my biggest question in this fight. I think if Loyev on paper is, is a more complete fighter, but what Bryce does so well can be such a problem for a lot of guys in this division. So can't wait for it. Five rounds is super fascinating. I'm ready. I am ready. Let's go to Octagon Blog. I'm good. How are you? To discuss with you uh, the following. Aspen Lett, she left the UFC or she was cut. And directly she signed with PFL. Uh, I witnessed at the fight against Tonya Evinger and also back-to-back I saw her against uh, Shajara Eubanks in Rochester. That's a couple of years ago. It seems that she has a very bad entourage. Uh, You know, it... It exploded in the fight against Norma a couple of years later with the racist incident. I'd like to hear your take uh, on her coaching and her entourage because I think she is like, I don't want to say under pressure, but it seems that people control her. That's my opinion. I want to hear your opinion. Thank you and good luck. I mean, it's an interesting question. I know Jim West took a lot of heat or the way he cornered Aspen Ladd in that Norma Dumont fight. I honestly, I didn't have a big issue with it. I didn't have a big issue with it. I really didn't. And I've, I talked to like other coaches about this. I've heard James Krause yell way worse things to his male fighters, Grant Dawson in particular over the years, that were way worse than what Jim West was doing to Aspen Ladd. And no one talked about that. So... And I think if Misha Tate didn't tweet out what she tweeted that night, I don't think this is as big of a story as it became. Having said that, I have talked to Aspen about this. She's Her and Jim West are together. They're a couple. So some people frown upon that. Sometimes fighters can thrive off of that. 
Others can't when you're dating somebody who is actually your head coach. In Aspen's eyes, it's not that big of an issue. She didn't think there was anything wrong with Jim's coaching because I've asked her point blank about it and the criticism that he got. And she defended him, which I'm not surprised that she did. And Jim would probably tell you the same thing. So I don't know, man. Like, I think it's, I think it's one of those things. Aspen Ladd is an incredibly talented fighter. She's got the skills. There's no doubt about it. And when Aspen is on, she is very difficult to beat. We've seen it many times. I think Aspen's issue, and she'll probably say this herself, and she told me this with the Norma Dumont fight, she just wasn't there mentally. It's between the ears for her. And maybe it's just her being in the UFC and the pressures of all of that, and who knows? Sometimes when these fighters have tough runs in the UFC, they go on to other promotions and they find success. And maybe this is what's going to happen for Aspen Ladd. Now, if I am the PFL... I am not booking those two together right now. I know they have this pay-per-view model, the, these, the, the super fight pay-per-views that they're going to do starting next year. And me feeling that the PFL is going to do PFL things. The first pay-per-view is probably going to p- be putting those two together. And I don't like it. I don't like it. If you're going to do it, because I know it, it, Aspen Ladd's going to fight at 145. If you're going to do it, because like that's the only chance you can get either fighter at 145, then I guess we don't really have a choice here. But if they bring if they're bringing Aspen Ladd in to fight at 145, with the purpose of doing a featherweight tournament in a featherweight season, you can't match them up right away. That's something you have to build towards. Let Aspen do her thing. Let Kayla do hers, and hopefully the chips fall where they may. And these two can fight in the finals. You got to build that thing up. You got to build that thing up. Cause there's, let's be honest. I, I think Aspen's a talented fighter, but there aren't a lot of people out there who feel like Aspen's going to beat Kayla Harrison right now. So we got to build this thing up a little bit. We got to build it up a little bit, but we'll see how the PFL handles it. We'll see if they're going to do a featherweight season. Let's, we'll see if they're just going to go right to pay-per-view with this fight. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think she's changing her her entourage anytime soon. Let's go to Yaya. What's up, Big Mike? How you doing, man? How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, question for you. So, uh, we know there's like a lot of questions in the heavyweight division. Um, you know, we don't know when Stipe is going to come back, or we don't know what when John Jones is going to come back, and then we don't know what Nagano is going to do uh, in terms of his contract and everything. Um, do you think that? in John Jones's return, you think it's, it's fair to say that he has a kind of like a, just as just a, a first, like good heavyweight bout before a title shot. Or do you think that should be straight away? Um, because, you know, we're all waiting for him to come back and it's been like two years and we see these training videos of his transition um, into heavyweight and everything. And we're just like, okay, when is he coming back? Um, you know? So do you think he should have a tune up fight in that sense? And also who do you think would be a good first fight for uh, Muhammad Usman? Uh, let me see. So, so the Jones thing, no, he doesn't need a tuna fight. When you are considered the greatest fighter of all time and you vacated your title to move up a weight class and have not competed in a couple of years, especially during the pandemic when the UFC really needed you, he is not going to be given any sort of a tune-up fight, they're just going to throw him right into the 
into the fire. And I've talked about this a lot at this point. It's all on Francis and Ghana right now. It's all on Francis. If Francis resigns before the deadline, he's fighting John Jones. That's the one because any sort of resigning renegotiation is going to have two things. The number one important thing he's going to want is to fight John Jones. And number two is the Tyson Fury stuff. The UFC giving him a little more leeway to, to pursue other things. But if he comes back and he's not fighting John Jones, then what's the point of resigning? That's the fight. That's what we're building towards. That's, I mean, what else does Francis Ngannou have to do right now? He's beaten and knocked out some of the biggest names in the history of this division. John Jones is kind of like, I mean, he's got the Stipe fight. You could do the trilogy at some point. It's kind of a back pocket fight. Who knows what's going on Stipe? But for Francis, Francis's team, his manager, his coaches, everybody wants the John Jones fight. That's the one. The UFC wants it. And the more, the closer we get to the end of the year, the more I feel like they're not going to do John Jones versus Stipe. And if they do that, if that fight is booked, then that tells me that Francis is not resigning. Because at this point, like, what are we doing here? We're building towards this big fight. Why book John versus Stipe unless you are just extremely desperate and you can't get another fight to headline December 10th or some of these upcoming cards? But I just, I feel like the UFC should just wait. Especially the guy like John, who's so volatile. You know, he's so unpredictable. You never know what this guy's going to do. And you never know what kind of trouble he can get into and, and all that. It's so risky every time you put him on the card, especially when you create these posters with his face on it. You just don't know if he's going to show up to the actual fight. So if we can get John and Steve, or excuse me, John versus Ngannou right away, I think the UFC is going to try to get there. So no tune-up fight. I think maybe a year ago or earlier this year, I think the Steve thing was an option, but the longer we go here, the more time that passes, the less likely I see that fight happening. Now, I don't have a ton of insight. I just know that John and Stipe December 10th is probably not going to happen. And at this point, if it's not going to happen, then that means that the UFC is just hoping that they can get Francis locked up and we can just go right to that big fight because that's the one everybody wants. It's the biggest, one of the biggest fights in the history of the company. Don, what's up, man? What's going on, Mike? How you doing, man? Have, hope you're having a too sweet day. All that jazz is free for all Friday. So, you know, I get my wrestling question in there. But I'm also going <laughs> to ask the MMA question. Kind of like it's a spot-up one. Uh, I always believe that to be, like, one of the best MMA fighters, considering the best, you got to be very well-rounded. Like, Jones is a very well-rounded fighter. He can beat you up on the feet, beat you up on the ground. Same with Silva. When, if you were an MMA fighter, what would you specialize in? You can't say that you would just be good at everything. Is there, is there like a style that like, is it Sambo? Is it, is it a striking style? What would you base your style off of if you were a fighter? What do you think is the most effective way? And my second question uh, is a question about heels and faces, man. We already know some people, some superstars were better as faces. Some were better as heels. Hogan revitalized his whole career when he stopped saying, dude, and started calling himself the Woodmaster. So, um, who for you is your top face of all time and then your top heel of all time? And they can't be the same. Um, have a good day, man. Keep sipping on that, Duncan. And, uh, yeah, man, heck of a morning, day, week, year, month, all that stuff, man. Hmm. 
I mean, the greatest heel of all time is Roddy Piper. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Roddy Piper is the greatest heel of all time. I don't think Roddy Piper gets enough credit for the success of WrestleMania, the success of that era, the success of 80s wrestling in general. Roddy Piper, people legit hated that man. And when he was in the regional scene in Portland, this guy was just the worst. And that's like the best thing you could be as a heel. So Roddy Piper is the best heel in the history of the business. Best, I mean, it just depends on era. Hogan, to me, it's to me, it's probably Steve Austin, and it wasn't meant for him to be a face, but at the time, Stone Cold Steve Austin came in at the right time. The anti-authority dude, when he basically spoke for the public, who wanted the people that wanted to go into their boss's office and tell them that they're terrible and stuff like that, and you know, there were a lot of people who felt that way, and that's why wrestling was so big. A lot of people lived sort of vicariously through Stone Cold Steve Austin. And to me, just like with the merch and like the, I mean, the pops of this guy's got, anytime WWE came to Boston during that era, I was there. And I had been a part of some major Stone Cold Steve Austin crowd reactions. And I've, and I've been there for, and I've seen Hogan wrestle live too when he was over in the late 80s, early 90s at the Boston Garden when he used to run there. And Hogan got big reactions, but nothing like Steve Austin got. So, that would be – so I'm going to go Austin Piper. If I was a – golly. If I was a fighter, like, I don't have a really – look, have I gotten in fights? Yes. I am – I am the heart of a lion guy. I'm a scrapper. So I would be the guy that I that I talk about on the show all the time. I'd probably grab the fence and look for look for ways to get over, for being honest. I would take a, take a beating and come back and – maybe do some damage. I don't know. I, I, I don't like to fight. So I've trained a little bit. I was a pretty good wrestler. So maybe that's my base, but I'm just a wild man. What can I say? Let's go to Beal and then we'll go to Brett and then we'll go to crypto. Maybe we'll go to Beal. We'll see. Let's see if that wheel can stop spinning. Oh, man, I'm getting just the record spinning round and round, Beal. Not getting a connection here. Okay, try again if you want. Let's go to my lifelong pal, Brett Gilman. Brett, how are you? Good morning. Uh, I uh, always uh, enjoy listening to you on my ride into work. It's uh, it's my best moment of my week right now, man. Uh, just working all these hours. But I just want to touch on that wrestling stuff. Uh, I would say uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, was definitely uh, part of that era when The Rock came out, Degeneration X, where it was everything was like entertainment for the fans and and, and Triple H, and they just really they were the faces to really take uh, wrestling into the world wrestling entertainment uh, world and not just uh, hardcore wrestling. And so that makes probably Steve Cole, uh, Stone Cold probably the greatest uh, in my my era as well. And, uh, and I'm a generation older than you, but it's all good. But uh, real quick, I just want to touch uh, a little bit on your um, the heavyweight talk you, you were just having. And uh, 
because we're not seeing these uh, fights that we want to see. How about maybe sneaking in like a Curtis Blade, Sarah Gunn type of uh, heavyweight fight? I'm dying to see the heavyweights go. And that uh, brings me up to my next question, my last question, actually, is um, who are the big heavyweight prospects that um, you like? Uh, I, I've seen, like, Almeida. I saw a guy in the Contender Series a few year, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was a Brazilian guy. He'd be the uh, guy from Africa. Just He just looked like a tough-as-nails kind of guy that uh, I like to um, see going forward uh so i was just kind of getting your thoughts just uh just wanted to say what's up mike and uh have a heck of a morning love you kid thanks man yeah um yeah i'm with you on steve austin like i think like hogan was a huge star and he made the most of his time but again without ruddy piper he ain't as big of a star he just ain't piper made him you need a villain and Austin had a villain as well with, with Vince McMahon, but I mean, that was just magic, man. That was just magic. I know somebody asked earlier and I'll kind of tie it into this question, uh, looking at heavyweight prospects. I think a lot of people, a lot of people ask about Muhammad Usman, who is the brother of Kamar Usman. Uh, so to answer who he should probably fight, Dante Mays, somebody like that. I, I think that makes sense. Maybe a Jake Collier. You do Chris Barnett. I don't know. Some, somebody like that, I would say. Heavyweight prospects. I mean, it's uh, Jelton Almeida is at the top of the list, especially if he's going to stay at heavyweight. He's back fighting Shamil Durhimov. They rebooked that one for UFC 280. I think Jelton is just going to truck him. I'm still, even though I was incredibly disappointed with his performance because he just gassed out so bad, I'm still very high on Alexander Romanov. I know he's not technically... It's tough to like put the prospect tag on a lot of these guys who are in the UFC, but guys who haven't been around, I guess, that long in this sort of landscape. Romanov's definitely one of them. Jelton Almeida is probably number one on my list. I think Martin Boudet is pretty good. And then there's going to be other guys coming up as well. But, I mean, Waldo Cortes Acosta. I believe is the guy you're thinking of, but he's already booked fighting uh, Jared Vandera October 29th. So that's definitely a guy we can keep our eye on. And man, Jared Vandera just can't, <laughs> he's just going to kind of get thrown to the lions for as long as he's under contract with the UFC, I believe. So yeah, those are the few, those are a few that I like and gone. I'll get to you in a second crypto, but the gone blades fight just seems like if everything falls into place, the dominoes all fall the way they're supposed to. That's the fight we're going to see. That one makes the most sense. But again, if we can't get Nganu back, if we can't get Stipe in there, I feel like Cyril Gaon will actually get the John Jones fight before Curtis Blades, which, I mean, you got to feel for Curtis Blades, man. You got to feel for the guy. The guy just has been so close so many times, he just keeps getting leaped over, and I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen here. Crypto, what's going on, man? Good. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Yeah, so Mike, uh, first of all, thank you for a great episode yesterday. Uh, BTL was uh, was amazing. I, I really liked it. Uh, and you mentioned this take uh, from Damon regarding uh, Adesanya and uh, Bo Nickel. But I think actually there is one thing that at least got me uh, a bit... Uh, well, I was just thinking about this. But what are your feelings about the thing that Damon said regarding Carlos Parza? I mean, to me, that is like if 
if she really would become the female fighter of the of the year, I, I would be amazed because I mean the fight against Rose was just I mean that wasn't actually a fight. She she just went in there and in essence the approach was basically that all right, it's a coin flip. I'm getting married next week. I don't want to get hit in the face. I'm just gonna stand here and uh let the judges basically flip a coin. <laughs> so I just want your take on that, Mike. And um, because I, I tr- like, I don't know, Molly McCann, for example, has done, at least according to me, way more. And if she would win against Erin, I mean, she's miles ahead of Carla Sparza uh, with regards to being the fighter of the year. Even, even Mike, if Carla uh, would beat Zhang Weili, to me at least. But just uh, one additional thing, Mike, because I've, I've been hearing, I mean, a lot of discussions about the Gilbert Burns and Hamza Chimaev fight. And to me, Mike, I see this as the other way around. I mean, a lot of people say that this fight proved that Hamzat is beatable, he's human, and so on. But I actually see it the other way around. I mean, here we have a guy that (laughs) goes into the octagon and just throws caution, I mean, to the wind completely. He just ignores his coach. Andreas was so upset with him. I mean, in between rounds, he was screaming at him. He was just completely annoyed. And you can, you can actually hear the disappointment uh, in the post-fight interviews. For example, he made a, yeah, had an interview with Ariel and so on. So, I mean, Hamzat went in there and just basically did a Sean Strickland. He just basically went in there and just, like, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that is optimal to win this fight. I'm just going to stand up and have a brawl with Gilbert Burns, a, a really bad idea. And even though he avoided the most optimal game plan and just like basically did a really stupid thing, he still won. He did, I mean, what Sean Strickland was hoping to do, but Hamzat actually went in there and was just like, all right, let's see. Let's see if I can just stand up with this guy and just have a brawl. And he still wins. So this to me proves that Hamzat Shemayev is actually better than I thought before the Gilbert Burns fight. If this guy doesn't even use his most powerful weapons and still wins, I mean, that is that is crazy. Thank you, Mike. I completely agree with you, by the way. Yeah. I felt the same way coming I, I felt the same way coming out of that fight. Sure. It, it was just one of those things where it was it was one of those things where I mean, listen, I was I was there. I was there. I didn't get to watch the fight in the arena. But I was backstage watching it with with a bunch of people, and I I felt there was like a scary thing. Like you could tell, like this guy got he got cracked by Gilbert Burns, cracked. And there were times where he looked like he was in trouble, but he overcame adversity. And sometimes you just need that to happen to show how good you are. And to me, like he had a bad fight. He had a bad fight. I'm not taking anything away from Gilbert Burns because Gilbert Burns took advantage of it and made this thing real competitive. But to me, like you show it, it showed that Hamza can have a bad night against one of the best fighters in the world and still win and take punishment and be able to overcome it. So I didn't, I didn't feel like his stock should have dropped at all after that fight. This guy went from fighting Lee Jing Liang, who's a fine fighter, to fighting Gilbert Burns, who is seconds away from beating Kamara Usman. What a leap in competition. And with all the, pre- I mean, every, like all the pressure, in the like everyone talking about that card was not even talking about the two title fights. It was all about Hamzat. It was the Hamzat show all week long. 
and he went in there and won. Like, I, I didn't understand the, well, he's human. Guess he's not as good as we thought he was. He beat freaking Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is a, gr- is a good fighter. And hearing people who were kind of feeling that way changing course after watching what Hamza did to Kevin Holland, it made people feel like, you know what, maybe Gilbert's not as, maybe Gilbert's a pretty damn good fighter. Those who didn't buy into Gilbert Burns, I think they bought it a little bit more after watching the Kevin Holland fight. I know there are some different factors heading into that because of the, the style change and everything. But yeah, I felt kind of the same way. I felt kind of the same way. And then the other thing, with the Carlos Spires to take, I didn't really think about that because of the bad taste that one left in everybody's mouth. But guess what? If Carlos Sparza beats Zhang Wei Li at Madison Square Garden in a fight that no one is expecting her to win, she is a massive underdog right now. Zhang Wei Li is a minus 315 favorite. The comeback in Carlos Sparza plus 260. By the time we get to that event, I feel like Zhang's going to be closer to a minus 400 favorite. There is nobody giving Carlos a chance to win that fight. Nobody. And if Carla wins in somewhat emphatic fashion, she ain't getting my vote for fighter of the year. Actually, she, but eh, it just depends. But if she wins, she's in the discussion. There's no doubt about it. Molly McCann, I'll, I'll, I'll take Damon's points to Damon has a, has a point. Molly McCann has beaten two fighters who probably shouldn't be in the UFC this year. Now, if she beats Aaron Blanchfield, that's a big win. That's a nice little tip of the cap. There's no doubt about it. I don't think she's going to win that fight. But if she does, that's a great win for her. I don't know if that's... Luana Carolina and Hannah Goldie are not world beaters. They're just not. So, to me... I just think strength of schedule matters. I think stakes matter a little bit more. And But if you want to say that Molly McCann is like top three in the conversation right now, I ain't going to fight you on it. But I have a feeling as the year progresses, I, I think like Chikagin's resume is actually better this year than Molly McCann's. Especially if she goes out there and beats Bannon Fioro. And if Carla wins, man, I, I, she's in the conversation. She's in the conversation. Hot tag time. Let's go to Ahid. We know he's going to bring the noise. What's up, buddy? Mike, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Okay, cool. Couple of points here. Firstly, continuing on from yesterday, I know like um, in talk we already talked about, but I, I'm mad, Mike, because... With one championship and the whole Eubank Jr. Ben situation, because there were uh, some other things I left out. One was Chatry. He posted, amongst all this craziness, he posted that he still was posting this stuff like, oh, one championship's one of the most engaged promotions in the world, whilst they're losing all this money. And I'm like, and then uh, at the same time, I'm seeing um, what's what's his name, the guy like from Matrim, uh, Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn is just putting out a statement again, trying to go after the board. It's like this man had that statement from Matrim was a one-on-one lesson in gaslighting. It really was. It's just so crazy the stupidity, like the fraud from these people, driven by stupidity. And do you think like one championship will collapse? I think Pride did the same thing. Pride collapsed for financial reasons i don't know so that's the first thing but the other two is 
I, I'm mad, but guess who else is mad, Mike? Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal was not happy getting provoked by Shafkat Rachmanov. He, like, and I think it's fair, like what he said, be careful what you wish for. Shafkat, we're all putting this guy as this monster, but he almost got, there's a clip of him almost getting knocked out in M1, you know? like, And then Jeff is nasty. He's got this karate stance now. He moves so well that what he did to Vincente was nasty. Yeah, Jeff could really, there's a good chance Jeff can knock Shavkat out. And um, the other part is, the last part is, I think I, I really don't want to see DC commentate UFC 280. I know he's gonna, but you, Dominic Cruz did really well last week. I actually think Dominic and Felder would have been a good combination or Rogan and Felder, Rogan or Cruz. Like Cruz has actually improved a little bit because I want to learn. This card is about learning about martial arts. It's not, it doesn't have to be about the drama or anything. It's about learning about some from some of the best like Oliveira and Markachev and Cruz explained it really well but unfortunately we're going to get DC just absolutely licking Markachev up like ass licking badly drop the mic Mike yeah I think a lot of people sort of feel that way about DC calling this one but we'll see what happens he's definitely going to be there uh, I would say they'll probably go Anik DC Felder but not 100% sure. That would be that would be my guess, but I get where you're coming from. Chatri. Ah, Chatri, Chatri, Chatri. I mean, look, so I listened to Ariel Hawani's interview with Tony Khan, who is the, the guy who runs AEW. There are some extreme similarities between the two of them. It's unbelievable. Chatri and Tony Khan. Like, Tony Khan spent that entire interview speaking for 90 minutes, but saying absolutely nothing except pumping his own tires. It was, I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe it. I hit up Ariel after. I'm like, I cannot wait till somebody asks you on on the nose to respond to this interview because it's just, I mean, it was just a complete self tire pump. It was humble. It was unreal. And I like, you were, I kind of reminded me of Chatri in a lot of ways with the way he tries to spin stuff and, well, there's this, but look what we did here. And look at the numbers we did here. You know, it's the third highest ever. We got 2 billion people watching us. Like, it's just, we joke about it all the time. And one has a little momentum right now. Like, they've had a couple, like, those Amazon video cards have been great. Like, they've been fun watches. They've done a great job with the production and everything. Their promotion is just garbage. Like, they don't promote anything. Like, they promote, they did a decent job with the DJ fight. Because I think it was the first one they were doing. So they were like, hey, we're here. Hello. Make sure you see us. And then when this one this past Friday came on, there was like no promotion at all. There's no hype. The only ones that were really doing it were us talking about these cards. You guys in particular were coming on the show asking about the one card. When people were asking about What's the best card of the weekend? A lot of people are saying one. It was the fans that put this card over more than one did. The UFC, you know, it just it all became about the Mark Zuckerberg thing. Is he going to come? Why are people not allowed? Why is the media not allowed? And then Zuckerberg became the story. And then Bellator had their card. They actually did a great job promoting their card. They went outside of the box in some ways with Paul Costa and the freaking Liver King. But man, was that smart. That was brilliant on their part. 100%. Getting Patricky up there and they're eating liver on the stage. Like that was, 
you got they got more eyeballs on their product for that one moment than anything else they've done the entire year. That was brilliant. And then one's just like, hey, we have a fight. And then it was the fans that put it over. It was the hardcore MMA fans that did all the work. And the financials are what they are. I'm not tapped into that. But the fine folks at Bloody Elbow, our, our familia, if you will, over at SB Nation and Vox, they've done an incredible job with this stuff. They've done an incredible job with the financial stuff. They've done an incredible job in terms of the antitrust lawsuit with the former fighters against the UFC. They've done a tremendous job covering the stuff that no one really wants to dive into. I don't have any time to dive into that stuff, but they're like, I don't need to because they're killing it and they're doing the same thing, deep diving into one's financials as well. So if you haven't checked it out, go to bloody elbow, check out their latest on the one financials and they do a spectacular job of that. Let's go to toke. Hi pal. Uh, the only, as it is free for all Friday, I only have one question and it's very, very simple. Which champion in either uh, in PFL and in Bellator do you think would have the best chance to beat the UFC champion? That's all I got to. Wait, say, say that one more time. You broke up a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, so which champion in Bellator and which champion in PFL has the best chance against a UFC champion in like a, uh, uh, hypothetical matchup, yeah? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, Kayla Harrison has to be kind of like the obvious answer. But even then, it's not a done deal. Let me look at Bellator. Let me see if there's anybody. Maybe Chris Cyborg, if she fought Nunes again. I don't think Sergio Pettis beats Sterling or Dillashaw. Pitbull Volkanovsky, I would go Volkanovsky, although that's probably more competitive than people give it credit for. I think Charles Oliveira destroys Patricky Pitbull. I think Islam Makachev destroys Patricky Pitbull. You know what? I think Yaroslav Amosov could beat Leon Edwards. Johnny Eblen, no. Vadim Nemkov. Maybe. Ryan Bader, no. Liz Kamush, no. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some interesting ones. Not a ton from the PFL that I think would do very well, but Kayla would. Kayla's probably the front runner there for sure. But good question. I like that one. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.
Let's go to Swap, and then we'll go to Kevin. Hi, Swap. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm so busy with the works. Uh, it's my day off today, so I jumped in. Uh, okay, so my question is, uh, if Fioro wins against Chukagian, she's going to call out Valentina. And um, Valentina herself told Ariel Helvani that, uh, that she wants to continue with the 125. So, so when do you see that fight is going to take place? Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, we also have the big one next week, too, between Alexa Grasso and Viviani Araujo. That could play into this conversation as well, depending on how that fight plays out. Like, if Alexa Grasso goes out there and has, like, a sensational finish, then she becomes a major player in this conversation as well. But I think if Manon does, I think if Manon beats Caitlin Chikagian, she will get the shot. The problem is Valentina says she wants to stay at 125. And personally, for me, I want her to stay at 125 for a little while longer as well. You could tell she's a little outsized, a little outpowered, a little outstrength by Tyler Santos. Valentina talked about not being able to put on the kind of weight she typically does. So that's something that she has to work on. But it would not stun me in the slightest if the UFC tries to do Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko at UFC 283 when they go back to Brazil. Because they don't have a main event for that card yet. And again, we still have to wait and see how some of this heavyweight stuff plays out before we can start talking main events. But that would not stun me if the UFC went to that well. That's a big, big fight. I... And, 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 and we don't know how much longer we have with Amanda, if we're being honest. So it's the biggest fight Amanda can get right now. There's there's no doubt about that. So well, let's just say that doesn't happen. Amanda wants to take more time off, which is possible. Maybe March, April-ish, somewhere around there, I think would make sense. I think if the UFC went back to Paris, that'd be something to think about. And then, and then again, if Shevchenko goes up to 135 and fights Nunes, you could do an interim title fight. But big stretch for the for that women's flyweight division, that's for sure. And this is going to be an interesting division to keep an eye on over the next few years because it's not just... I mean, we've seen Manon just kind of surge in such a quick, rapid way. But she's just one of many that are on the come-up right now. When we talk about Grasso, she's not really on the come up, but she's finally reaching the potential a lot of people had for her. Araujo, I've been very high on for a while. I know she lost to Chukagian, but a lot of people felt Araujo won those won that fight. I am one of those people. I am one of those people. Casey O'Neill, I'm very high on. Macy Barber starting to find herself. Aaron Blanchfield is going to be a freaking problem in this division, and she might already be there. Like she might already be she might already be like a giant problem. And the scary thing about Aaron Blanchfield is she's only going to get better. That's the scary thing. She's still super young. She's so talented. And I just can't wait to see what, where she is two years from now. She got a big fight against Molly McCann. I'm picking her to win that fight, but it's a tough, it's, it's a big, it's a good test for Aaron. This is like the right kind of fight to make. And it's a win-win fight for the UFC. 
So this division, I mean, this division is just really good. Tracy Cortez, another one that's starting to find herself. I mean, Amanda Hebas has a lot of talents. A lot of people thought she beat Caitlin Chikagian as well. I didn't. I thought Chikagian stuck it out, but it was close. And then it's just a talented division. It's going to be really interesting the next couple of years. That's for sure. Valentina is going to have some some challengers. Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, what's up? Uh, I unfortunately hopped on a little late, but I wanted to um, ask this question. I don't know if it's been covered already today. Um, with the Yuri Glover fight happening, I mean, I see quite a few guys at light heavyweight who are not booked, and I'm curious with Yuri not being necessarily the most active fighter, um, and Glover's getting up there in age, so I don't know if he'd have a quick turnaround if he were to win it back. I'm wondering what you do with the guys like Jamal Hill and Rockich and Blahovich and now Ankalaev up there knocking on the door. What do you do with those four guys kind of in that that little quad step of fighters there? And also, the, and the question I was asked earlier uh, about other champions coming over and beating UFC champions, it made me think of Mighty Mouse. And is there a world where Mighty Mouse might ever come back and compete in the UFC? I'd love to see that matchup with him and and Brandon, now that he's matured and, and become the fighter he is, that that'd be a great fight. Anyway, that's all I got. Thanks. So the second question, absolutely not. DJ will never fight in the UFC again, because why would he? He got treated like shit while he was there, and he didn't get promoted at all, and was probably he was vastly underrated, even though a lot of people feel like he's one of the five best fighters ever. And now he's in one. He's kind of like, you know, he's a big deal. He's one of the faces of the company. He's probably getting from, I don't know exact figures, but he's making a ton of money, like way more than the UFC would ever pay him. So there's no reason for him to leave. So no, I don't think he, I, I would it'd be cool. It'd be cool to see him fight Figueredo and Moreno and Brandon Royval and like some of these up and coming 25ers, but there's just no chance he's going to leave that. And plus it, it's, it doesn't seem like he wants to be a 25er anyways. He's happy being a one championship flyweight, which is essentially a 135er. The other question, light heavyweight. I mean, there's, there's rumors out there that the UFC is working on Jan Bohovic and for December 10th. We have not confirmed any of that as of yet. We saw the reports, trying to confirm it, not seeing anything. Jamal Hill, unfortunately, is kind of the odd man out here because while it would make sense from a rankings perspective to put him in there with Rakic, Rakic has also suffered a pretty gnarly injury against Jabohovic. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. So, I, I mean, he's kind of in a tough spot, really. He's kind of going to have to be in a standby spot, really at this point and just hope something comes. Let me look at the UFC rankings and, and, and see because Jamal's right there. He's a guy that the UFC should certainly push. He's a good fighter. He's number six right now. Anthony Spitz heard. I would, I mean, Dominic Reyes is fighting Ryan Spann at 281. So I think if Dominic Reyes beats Ryan Spann, I mean, he's right back in the conversation. Like, you just need to get a win to get back in the mix, and that's probably the fight they look at because there's not much else available. Like, Volkan's booked. Uh, Krylov's – I mean, they're fighting each other. Jacoby's booked against Roundtree. 
I wanted Jacoby versus Dominic Reyes. That's the fight I wanted. I mean, I'm fine with Ryan Spam, but I wanted Jacoby to get that opportunity because I think he deserves it. But Jamal's kind of the odd man out of this equation, but if he waits a little while, then I think he's going to be okay. And kind of hope – I think he's kind of a Dominic Reyes fan at this point. If he, Dominic wins, he gets to fight the dude that was a two-time title challenger, the guy that a lot of people felt beat John Jones. That's a good name to have on the resume. All right, Beal, do we have Hello. you? Hello. You got me. All right. I've got a quick question. Um, we're talking a lot about Bo Nickel and him potentially beating these top guys like Kamza and uh, and Izzy, but who do you think would give him the toughest fight in the division? Because I, I feel like guys like Andre Muniz and uh, Gilbert Burns, um, I feel like they have the defensive wrestling and the jujitsu and just overall physicality to, to give him real issues. So. That's all I got, Mike. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Izzy's a tough matchup for him. Not, so, I mean, Bo is just a freak athlete, and athleticism is kind of a cheat code in a way. So, I think it's competitive. I don't think he wins that fight. I think Robert Whitaker is a really tough fight for him. I think Marvin Torrey is a tough fight for him. Because Marvin's a tough fight for everybody, unless you're Robert Whitaker. Even Israel Adesanya will probably tell you that it was not fun fighting Barton Vittori because Vittori just doesn't stop moving ever. Um, yeah, I mean, th- those guys, like even like guys like Imavov are so well-rounded. DDP, I mean, like, I think... I think there's a few matchups that would give Bo problems. But doesn't mean he can't win them. Muniz is Muniz is interesting. I just things get to the mat. Like he couldn't submit Uriah Hall, and like Uriah Hall's got great submission defense, so I'll give him that. But Muniz is a terror, man. He's a tough matchup. Like there's definitely tough matchups for Bo, but when you look at him stylistically, I guess the real question to ask is like, which fight do you feel in the mix would not be competitive? And I have a hard time finding one that w- wouldn't at least be somewhat competitive with what I've seen so far. Now, I'm, I'm go- I, and I and I'll say this: I'm fine with the Jamie Pickett booking. I'm. This is where I, this is what I wanted. Get him out there, make him a big favorite, let him style, let him do his thing. Jamie's a step up in competition for sure from the guys that he has fought as a pro. It's in the UFC octagon. It's part of a big crowd. It's on a, it's on a pay-per-view event. It's a good first test. And now if Bo goes out there and just rolls Jamie Pickett, then we can start talking steps up. We can start talking about the steps up. We can start talking about the, I don't know, throw out some names, the Eric Anderses of the world, the Puna Sorianos of the world. And then from there, you go to like the Anthony Hernandez's of the world, the Ian Heinish's of the world, and then we just we just progress him. Like he's he's gonna get there. Like I, if he does not fight for a title, I will be completely stunned. But it's not something that we need to just throw him into a top ten fight right away. Now, if they threw him into to, to a top fifteen fight right away, cool. Like it's it's fascinating. But again, you don't want to. They've made a lot of mistakes. The UFC, more times than not, they have built talent very, very well. 
Look at what they did with Alex Pereira. I mean, they got – this couldn't have gone any better for them, the way that they put him – the way that they built him up. And I think they'll do something similar with Bo. They threw Alex in there with a the guy they, they figured would he would knock out quickly. He did. Then he got a step up, passed that test, gets Sean Strickland, stops him in the first round, and now he's got the fight that – now the UFC has the fight that they've been building towards since they signed him. The, the reason they signed Alex Pereira was to get to the point we're getting to on November 12th, and they've done a great job. But they have screwed it up many times too. They screwed up a Johnny Walker, throwing him in there with Corey Anderson so quickly. That was just a baffling piece of booking, 100%. They screwed it up with Ed- Edmund Shabazian, throwing him in there with Derek Brunson, and then Jack Hermanson. And they're like, you know what? We'll give you a step back and throw you with Nasruddin Imovov. Like they booked the, they booked him terribly. Now he's fighting Dolce Langenbula at 282 and. He should probably win that fight. There's a reason why he's fighting Dolce Lungambula, but they're hit or miss when it comes to doing the baby step thing and, and trying to build these prospects and getting them where they need to go. Bo, I think they he's got to step up on a lot of these guys, but yeah, there's no need to just rush him. He's got plenty of time. He's only 26. He's got six good years for sure. Crypto's back for more. Uh, take us home, my man. Yeah, so, Mike, um, I was just thinking about this because uh, one additional thing. There's a lot of hype now uh, before the uh, Makachev-Oliveira fight. But I'm a bit worried about one thing, and that is that we might end up with a really long fight where basically Makachev just grinds Oliveira down. I think like the the hype around this fight is is of course real and it's huge, but I was just thinking about this. Is, is there a actually a, quite a big risk that we end up having a boring fight where this market chef tries to pin Oliveira down and we just see some ground and pound and basically Oliveira is of course a master on the ground so he's able to defend himself, but basically a long a long fight. Uh, but with uh, without you know the the most uh, yeah explosive exchanges and so on. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I, I don't think you're alone in that sentiment. I I think it's going to be a great fight. I think we're going to see Islam get after a little bit more. I think the the, the ground exchanges are going to be interesting. And and by the way, Islam is not the worst striker in the world. He's getting better. He's got great counters. He's got a great counter left hook that could actually give Oliveira some some problems. There's a lot about this matchup that I like. But even, you know, just for an example, I talked to Justin Gaethje about this fight. On that interview for MMAfighting.com, you can go to the YouTube page to watch right now. And he's sort of leaning Makachev, it looks like. He's not giving an official pick, but he's sort of leaning Makachev. Said probably Makachev by decision, but he's looking at this as a no gray area fight. It's either going to be an incredible fight, battle of wills, or it's going to suck. It's going to be extremely boring. There's no sort of in-between. And I think if Gaethje's feeling that way and and you're asking that question, I think other people are as well. I'm hoping for the best. The most intriguing fight to me of the year from a stylistic perspective, there were two. Sarukian and Gamrot and Teixeira Prohashka. And those two fights delivered 
And in that same realm, with the build and how close we were getting there, the, the approach of it all, this one's right up there with the two of those. Maybe even higher, I don't know. But somewhere in the, in the mix of those three. And so far, so good. So hopefully we can make it three for three and we're going to do some fun stuff at UFC 280. Announcement forthcoming. As hey, well, yeah. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, good. So um, I just have uh, three quick questions I want to ask. The first one is um, with Bryce Mitchell's fight against uh, Arnold, Allen coming up, who do you see winning? Um, and what do you reckon could be maybe, let's say, the potential outcome for either fighter? Um, this is a little bit off topic and weird, but... Hold on, hold on. Uh, Wait, you said Bryce Mitchell versus Arnold? Yeah, Arnold yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's Bryce versus Avloyev and Cater versus Allen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Never mind, I might have got it mixed up. Yeah, okay. I, I thought... All good, yeah. all good. Okay, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to ask you on that one, like, how do you see that fight playing out? And, you know... What could be the potential, I guess, um, future for whoever wins that fight? Um, this one's a bit off topic, so bear with me. But I don't know if you just saw, but Jake Paul, he just tweeted some shit about Draymond Green. Um, I just found that really funny because that guy's been chasing some weird clout for a while now. And I think it's very clear he knows how to play the internet game marketing. Where I just thought I'd point that out. Um, my Another question I have is... Um, you know, UFC, they just announced um, they were going to Perth, Western Australia now for an event next year. Um, who could you see headlining that event? The Australia card? Yeah, the Australia card next year. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, as you were talking about Draymond Green, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit. I That guy sucks. That guy sucks. And I'm sure you saw the video by now of him just sucker punching Jordan Poole, his teammate, throwing a freaking Superman punch at him as teammates are trying to separate the two of them for a little practice skirmish. And he throws a freaking Superman punch at him and knocks the dude silly. So dumb. That guy sucks. He sucks. He sucks so bad. And to watch him celebrate a championship over my Boston Celtics made me sick to my damn stomach. Maybe sick to my stomach. But yeah, Draymond wants to get into a boxing ring and box somebody. Anytime I will pay for that. Anytime I can watch somebody, even if Draymond wins, even anytime I can watch and pay for somebody to punch Draymond Green in the face, you've got my money. You've got my money. Jake Paul is just very smart at, at jumping on these things at the at the right time. So but yeah, that video is is pretty bad and you know, pushing and shoving and stuff happens at practice, and I get that, and there's little skirmishes, but that was a sucker punch to the max, and it was bullshit. Garbage. Draymond Green sucks. Sucks. Sucks, sucks, sucks. If Loya Mitchell, I don't know, I'm torn on that one. You get asked me a little bit closer as I dive in a little bit more. Of course, the landscapers come right now. Uh I'm leaning Evloyev, but again, this is five rounds, and I don't. I'm curious to see what Evloyev's gas tank is going to look like in four and five because I don't think Bryce is going anywhere. It's just a really good fight, and then maybe they get the winner of 
Cater versus Allen. I'm fine with that. I'm definitely fine with that. And then for the Australia card, I've reached out. I'm trying to get some confirmation on this. I know one of the, the local websites wrote about it, but I'm trying to get, confirm this information. Uh, but if it is Perth, I'd be stunned if Adesanya's on the card. I don't know. It's probably going to be Volkanovski or Adesanya. Maybe we get both of them. But it's going to be one of those two. All right. MMA locker room. We'll get you in there, and then I have I, we'll see how much time we have for a hit to jump back in again. You got to unmute. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I just had... What's up? I just, this is my first time in the uh, Twitter space with you guys, but I got a big comparison with this uh, Islam career, kind of like Khabib. Uh, when Khabib was in the UFC, you know, he was on that nine-fight win streak before he actually got that title fight, and you can actually look at his two opponents that he fought uh, before he got that title fight and say they weren't in the top five. It was over Edwison Barbosa and Michael Johnson at the time. And then he gets that title fight because uh, Tony Ferguson had to vacate because he got hurt. Same thing kind of like Islam right now. You know, they're looking at the, the opponents that he fought and saying that, you know, nobody's in the top five. But I do think that he can have the same run as Khabib did because after Khabib did get the title, who he defended his belt against was everybody in the top five. Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. And, um, you know, so I think actually Islam could do the same thing and Justin Gaethje. To where after he wins the belt, imagine Islam defending the belt against Dustin Poirier, uh, Justin Gaethje, you know, and and pretty much implementing the same legacy that Khabib did. So I think we just need to hold our horses and saying that Islam hasn't beat anybody yet in the top five. Because if we look at the people in the top five, I think Islam could actually uh, get some wins on some of those people as well. I get I get where you're coming from. I also understand people looking at the resume the way that they do. And again, I don't blame Islam Makachev for that because it's not like, it's not like he hasn't been offered some of these guys because he's been matched up with some of them already. And the problem was, is that his opponents just didn't make it to the fight. He got some sort of replacement and he treated them accordingly. That's just what he did. He was booked with, He's booked with Benil. That fight didn't happen. He gets Bobby Green. He's booked with RDA. That fight didn't happen. He gets Dan Hooker. Booked with RDA two other times before that. Fight got called for whatever reason. One was a COVID-related issue. One was Makachev getting injured. At one point, you're supposed to fight freaking Alexander Hernandez. I mean, there was just a lot of, just a lot of like tough runs for him. Well, let's look at this win streak. Chris Wade, Nick Lenz, Tebow, Cajun Johnson, Sarukian, short notice debuting fighter, and that was a good fight. Hamos, Drew Dober finish, Moises finish, Dan Hooker finish, Bobby Green finish. There isn't like a single ranked dude in the mix. Like Hooker was ranked at the time. Dober might have been, but I think he was just outside of the top 15. 
But again, not really his fault. And then we look at what, what Habib did before getting to the actual title fight. That RDA win, I mean, that was just when you when he when Habib beat RDA in April of 2014, you were just like, oh shit. This guy is the dude. Because we knew how good RDA was. We knew how good this guy this guy was, and he ran him over. Daryl Horcher was supposed to be Tony Ferguson. The Michael Johnson win at the time actually meant a lot. And the Edson Barboza win at the time sort of meant a lot as well. But again, both those guys, it's just, it's the risk reward in fighting. It's tough. Like who the frig wanted to fight Habib on the come up? Especially after watching that RDA fight, who was like, oh, Habib, I'll fight him. The only one that was like calling for a fight with Habib was Kevin Lee. No one wanted to fight that dude. And I kind of feel the same way with Islam right now as well. But I get it. But even after the Bobby Green win, some people were like, eh, he hasn't, doesn't have the win on his resume. And some people just felt like Benil deserved it more. But you can't argue that the more intriguing fight is Oliveira Makachev. Like, that's the one. I think the fans kind of made this one happen with all the debates and all the conversation. There was a big, that was a big thing that had to do with it. But there's no doubt about it that this is the more intriguing matchup. 100%. So we'll see what happens. See if we can continue this, uh, this sort of mirror legacy. All right, ahead, real quick. Okay. Can you, uh, can you hear me? Right. Now I can. Okay. So uh, just three points, Mike, uh, to finish off that. Can you talk about Shafkat and Jeff Neal? Because uh, people like Shafkat's this monster, but Shafkat almost got knocked out in M1, if you, don't, uh, if you remember. Jeff Neal is nasty with that new karate stance. And uh, secondly, it was like, do you think one championship will collapse financially? And what will that do for like Muay Thai kickboxing and, uh, and for people like Angela Lee, who are superstars, Demetrius, will they move over to the UFC? And lastly, glory kickboxing. Everyone's talking about Harry Overy. No, like watch Tiffany Van Soys, the champion, because she's a bit weird, quirky, but she, her footwork is outstanding and her shot selection is outstanding. That's it. Drop the mic, Mike. All right. Yep. Tiffany Time Bomb, always fun to watch. I already, I mean, I, I dove into the Jeff Neal, Shavkat stuff like right off the bat, so I didn't really dive into it much, but I think Shavkat still wins that fight. Jeff's competitive and Jeff takes it. I give him a lot of credit for that. But Shavkat will just take him down and smush him like he does to everybody else, honestly. And then one, I don't know. It's not looking good. I mean, if, if we are to believe these reports, then it's not looking good. I don't know how much you how long you can sustain nine-figure losses per year. That just seems like an awful lot. I don't know how long you can sustain that, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Depends on who you talk to. You talk to Chatri. Oh, we're the number one promotion in the world. We got 17 billion people watching our shows. But We'll see what happens. We'll see what the future holds for one and everybody else. But to answer the other part of your question, Angela Lee, I think the UFC would take a shot on her. DJ will not fight in the UFC again. He just won't. 
DJ would go to PFL or PFL would like build a division or a season around him. They'd put him in super fight, pay-per-view, Bellator, put him at 135. Like it'd pay him way more than the UFC will. Because you know how the UFC is. If they're wrong about something, they double down on how wrong they are and they will try to stick it to you to prove that they're not wrong. That's just how they work. All right, I have to go. Uh, Terrence, I'm sorry, my man. But the good news is, Terrence, why don't you join us on Monday? Yes, bonus show number two. Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. No MMA hour. Canadian Thanksgiving. It's also uh, Indigenous Peoples Day in the U.S., formerly it's Columbus Day. Uh, so a lot of people have that Monday off. It's company holiday for a lot of people. And Ariel's back on Wednesday. And yeah, so we'll we'll do four shows again next week. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Normal BTL next week. We'll have preview show. Be like a normal week next week with everything coming back and all sorts of fun to look forward to. And maybe we'll be able to give you the announcement for what we're doing for UFC 280. But I don't know if it's going to happen next week. It might happen like the week after. And perhaps that'll be an announcement that couldn't be made here. Maybe it'll be made on some other show on the MMA Fighting Network. Perhaps the MMA Hour. I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see when it all comes out. You will know soon. Just know that something cool is happening. But have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Have a great rest of your Friday. And as always, have a heck of a morning. You guys are the best. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.